Based on the far western reaches of the island of Ireland, Ballinskellings, County Kerry, Fermoil Pottery Studio bring an approach to pottery close to the process of a modern chef. They source materials from around them. Stephen and Alexis create bespoke pieces for the best eateries across Ireland, but not only, Singapore, London, Paris, Greece and Holland. Yeah, and a truly out-of-this-world eating experience at a restaurant is only achieved by the attention to detail that goes beyond the food that's on your fork. It's the lighting and the sounds in the room, the colours on the walls, the smells as you enter, the tone and pace of the servers. Chefs and restaurateurs explore deep details of your entire experience with them to create a harmonious moment that will resonate with you long after you've swallowed that final bite. This is theatre, and it's top-class theatre at that. So why wouldn't the hands behind the plates and the bowls and the cups not view it in the same way? Stephen and Alexis have brought to their work this same attention to detail, the philosophies and the personalised approach to each of their commissions, which is why you will eat off their works in most of Ireland's top restaurants, such as Imshire, Anir, Alta, Ichigo Ichi, Ox and many more. So, welcome to the Neighbour Food Podcast. We are your hosts, Jolene and... And Jack. Where we are going to look at artisan food production and the importance of the craft behind those who make it. And today, in our chat to Alexis and Stephen of Vermoyle Pottery Studio... Hi, guys. Hello. How are you doing? We speak about what inspires them, from the landscape, to the people, to the chef's tables, to where their plates are served. We hear about their background as fledgling potters and artists to where they are today and dig into what makes them and their business stand apart. Oh, just oh. before we kick off, we got some good news, guys. We won an award. Woohoo! What did we win? We won gold for the Bullseye Award at the Irish Podcast Awards. Now, this category honours podcasts that are producing, and I quote, exceptional listening experiences for niche audiences and those underrepresented in other Irish media. That's us. Yay! Yeah, we won a gold. It was pretty cool, I have to say. And thank you, everyone, for listening and supporting and helping us make these episodes possible. We really appreciate your support. Thank you. And we're actually up for another award. Isn't that right? We most certainly are. And yes, we've been nominated for another award, believe it or not. Coming up in the middle of October, we have been shortlisted for the best food podcast at the Irish Food Rating Awards. Really excited about this one. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, everybody, for listening. On with the show. Here we go. So we're um, in a little place called Balanskelligs. Mm. Balanskelligs. What does that mean in Irish? It means... Ta- Balanskelligs. But the ske- the, you see, the Skellig rocks are just off the coast here. Yes. So so the, the, the bay here, which is quite protected, there was an abbey here which, which um, supported the um, monastic settlement outside and the, and the village and the town around it. And mm-hmm. we're three... We're four kilometers outside of that then it, uh, and the little hill we live in on is firm oil but there's loads of firm oils around the country so that's confusing so uh, <laughs> so we're in and Balanskelligs is really on the furthest point west you know and in in, in the Evra and Evra Peninsula, Ivra Peninsula. Yeah. 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 One, one of the last places in Ireland to see the sunset I'd say that's it. Yeah. yeah ourselves and, and Dingle up across the bay from us so yeah we're pretty remote it's it's like four and a half hours from Dublin. But so many people come here on their holidays. They do the Ring of Kerry and we're just a wee bit off that. Um, but we're we're up a little country road and it's hard to find us. Yeah. Not Google Maps, of course, but you know. 
But that's what's part of the fun is discovering these things. And yeah, it's a, it's a majestic part of the world, I would say. And it is definitely inspirational when it comes to the work because, look, you can always step outside, take a breath of fresh air. We have a big garden, do a bit of gardening. I'm sick of looking at pots now. You're refreshed and back in you go. We have a nice little piece of land here where we, um, we garden. We grow a lot of our own veg and um, try and be as self-sufficient as we can. We have loads of fruit trees and a polytunnel and... Beautiful. Uh, yeah. yeah, lovely little Irish school just down the road for the kids. Yeah, and I'd imagine like that landscape, you know, kind of like looking at the textures of the rocks and and the sand and the seaweed and and everything like that would would influence as absolutely. well where you're going. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many artists talk about the inspiration of nature, don't they? And it's mm. just like, yeah, it just flows through you when you live in a place like this. Yeah, no, but you see something familiar then when you're making a glaze, you're like, oh, it looks lichen. like that lichen growing on yeah, the rock. Yeah, lichen and, and yeah. the textures in the sand and the seaweed. And the... It's all stone and, and, yeah. and, and, and rock around here. Mm. What a beautiful experimental process that must be. It's gorgeous. Um, I almost feel I'm kind of downing Kerry with you there, the way you describe the landscape and everything. Tell us um, a little bit about From Oil Pottery and um, introduce yourselves. Who are you? What are you doing? Well, From Oil Pottery is just the two of us, Alexis Bowman and me, Stephen O'Connell. And um, it's, 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 that's all it is. It's two people working in a backyard studio. It's a big backyard studio, but um, that's essentially it. And we've been doing this for five years, essentially focused in, on, in this particular way. What would you describe the way as? Well, the way is, is, is thinking about um, when we started doing the pottery, we were wondering, <clears throat> you know, what direction did you go in and who are you selling to? And it seemed a difficult proposal to be making stuff for living in this kind of area passing tourism and, and all that sort of thing because you have to make something that's appealing to that kind of person or what you assume to be that kind of person and then you're immediately into compromised territory mm. so we wanted to make something that might be interesting to us and interesting to other people and then the idea of um short small commissions to interested people became something that we thought might be a goer um, and and somehow it started to work out so so that led to the path you know I mean you, you don't really I, I, you could have a you could have a goal absolutely of which way to go but this one just developed over who came to us and then it we evolved. Said, yeah let's see where that will lead and when you you're consumed with enough um, 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 busyness to keep you distracted you'll you, you know you could why not follow that it, we're happy and we, and we have lots of interest. So, you know, we're just continuing on that path for now. That's amazing. amazing. So, like, who are these people who are commissioning you? That would be interesting to know. Well, it's a bit of, it's a bit of everybody. Why you... are they? Who are these people? <laughs> what are they looking for? <laughs> Why are they coming to you? Well, there's kind of strange things that we never thought of because if, four or five years ago, I was like, um, I never thought about food stylists. You know, where do yeah. they get their pottery from? Mm. Uh, yeah they, they you know people like that collect props they they go on holidays they buy a nice bit of pottery in greece or morocco or wherever they are they buy some old banged up uh, pewter plate because it looks beautiful and yeah. um and it's interesting 
and the shiny new stuff does not necessarily look interesting. Mm. You know, it's what, what, like when you go to some place like um, Ballymaloo, they have loads of, of pots that have been collected by um, Darina and the family over the years that are sitting in the back that have a patina of age on them. They've got mm. cracks and fractures and, mm. and staining in, in, the, in, the, in the cracks and the glazes that make it look old and beautiful and, and interesting. You know, enamel pans that have become yeah. chipped. They're the interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. Photograph. They look like they're being used. Um, and so if you're making pottery, then can you make pottery with an interesting patina on it or, or finish so that it immediately, you know, adds interest? It speaks yeah. to you in a different way. It's got a story to it. I am definitely one of those victims who goes along and collects all these bits and pieces as well. I do a lot of photography and I have so much kind of random wear and um, napkins and cutlery and all sorts of bits and pieces. So I know exactly what you're talking about and definitely things that have a story to them um, add so much to a photo, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, Alexis takes the photographs for us, so she's really um, maybe more tuned into But um, it, it, so I was the chef before as well, and, and it, you, we've hit the nail on the head. It's, it's the expression, like it's not just about the food on the plate, but, you know, like what that usually means is that it's also the servers and the wine list mm. and everything. But in this case, it's also like the plate itself. And a lot of chefs do do that collecting and gathering and remembering oh and even recently the other day I, I made a ceviche randomly for for something um, and we had this like glass lime kind of bowl that I had just been like dying to do ceviche in it was like the only reason I did ceviche that night that night was because I kept looking at that bowl being like I really want to see what it's looks like when the coriander <laughs> and all the pieces of white flesh are in it, you know and that's the way that a lot of chefs think but in your approach there's a step different which is you're making pottery, new pottery, for the intention of it being used for a dish. And I really wanted to chat about that because this podcast is all about food and particularly about food production and speaking to the people who make it. And one of the things that comes up a lot is that for a small producer, particularly of what we would call primary produce, so ingredients rather than finished dishes, they're doing so with the chefs now. So not only is there a farmer who is looking to make the best product they can in the way that they do it. They're also trying to make things that are suitable to what the chefs want, because we're seeing it all over the, the country and we're hearing it from everybody, is that an unusual product, it first kicks off in a restaurant and that restaurant can often be the success of that product ending up at home and becoming part of people's home cooking. And Ireland is an interesting country for this because we have transitioned into a culinary place quite quickly. And I think a lot has to be, a lot of credit has to be given to the chefs for that. So let's talk a little bit about putting food on, on plates because obviously pottery isn't always about eating and drinking. Pottery is also about ornamental pottery. It's about sculpture. It's about different things. Did both of you have a background <clears throat> in pottery you said you only started five years ago but we can tell from looking at your stuff that you didn't start making pottery five years ago uh, where did both of you come from to move into pottery I, I started pottery as a summer job when I was in secondary school and it became an apprenticeship later on so I went to um I wanted to do fine art I thought I wanted to be a painter um went to Galway to Clunvira 
to do fine art and after having done that summer job before in pottery it didn't mean much to me I thought at the time but uh, when I was in Clover we were doing painting and I got into the ceramics department and I got the clay again and I just thought oh actually this of course is like it seems like second nature I really like this and I and I at the end of that year <clears throat> I left and I went to an apprenticeship here in in Kerry with um, some potters who lived really close by and they happened to be friends and they were called Ivara Ceramics at the time and that was Bob Hollis and Emma Almira and they gave me a space to work in and whatever training I needed but they gave them, me the freedom to, to do what I wanted to experiment and to fire um, with them in their gas kilns and all the rest of it so whether I you know screwed it up or, or made something interesting there was always somebody there in the background so I worked for them several days a week and then I did my own stuff the rest of the time so that was a sort of a um, um, an apprenticeship that wasn't um, <clears throat> I suppose it wasn't recognized technically as an apprenticeship I mean sometimes that is and sometimes it isn't formalized and that was um, probably a five-year period so I had a pretty good background in it from them and they were they were excellent potters so that, that was that was a great start mm. and then I left it for, for 10 years. And so that's when Alexis comes into the picture. Alexis is being very quiet in the corner. <laughs> Come into this conversation. T tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get uh, involved with this fella? Um, well, I, um, from, I'm from Sydney, Australia, and I went to art college um, in Sydney and um, I studied fine art and I majored in um, textiles and painting. Um, so what I was really interested in was surface design and pattern and um, composition. And so when I met Steve, I, I had already dabbled in a little bit of pottery in art college, but um, I wasn't very technically savvy or anything. And when I met Steve, he really um, started teaching me about pottery. And when we opened the studio, he, he was my teacher and he taught me how to apply all of my ideas to this new medium that I wasn't really very familiar with. Hmm. Um, and I found that what I became really interested in as I began to work with Steve was the, um, it was the surfaces of the, of the pieces more so than the forms. So what really began to turn me on was the surface design of the pottery. So it was the glazing and the finishes. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Hmm. And um, actually just that's kind of triggered in my mind because when I chatted to, to Stephen a bit on the phone, and we talked a little bit about the commissions you spoke about working with um, Takashi Miyazaki and, and how chopsticks versus forks became a defining factor for, for that kind of work. Can you explain a little bit about that on the topic of surfaces? Because I thought that was really fascinating. Some chefs approached us and we made work for the chefs. But I think before, I don't know, I, I can't remember quite how we got in touch with Takashi, first of all, but I think it might be one of the only times where I made something thinking about a chef before I'd met them or spoken to them. And I was making these plates and I thought, oh, you know where that could be interesting. Um, and I, I think we sent at that time, it might be probably four or five years ago now, sent him just a few pieces uh, as an introduction and say hello. And one of these was this rippled textured plate. And if, if you can imagine, it's like... Um, uh, like almost like a ploughed field, but where the plough has gone askew across the field, it's like the ripples of sand under the um, shallow water on the beach, you know, that run. And 
that's not normally something you do with ceramics because you're always thought that it has to be cutlery friendly. It has to be smooth and shiny for a spoon in a bowl. Mm-hmm. You don't want to feel any texture. Yeah. And Useful. it yeah. suddenly struck me, of course, um, Japanese food, of course, <laughs> um, you know, you're not using, generally speaking, spoons, forks, yeah. and knives. You're, you're using chopsticks or your hands. And so there's more opportunity for that. We tend to make pottery to be multi-use. So mm-hmm. it's got to be for your breakfast. It's got to be for your noodles, your, your porridge, your cereal, yeah. your soup. Everything's going in that bowl. Mm-hmm. And that's not how the restaurants think about it. They have, yes, they can have multiple uses for it, but it can be for specific dishes. And we can have more fun with it. And it can be more interesting as long as you respond to what um, chefs are doing. So I forgot about the plate. Um, Takashi sent back this amazing picture where he had created this beautiful um, uh, layout of food, uh, and it looked like it was a piece of art. It was little pieces of mackerel. Um, it's on his Instagram, and I think I reposted it on ours. Little pieces of mackerel laid across the ripples of this plate, almost like they're swimming against the current, and it was just so beautiful. And marigold it? petals on it, and all oh, that yeah. sort of thing. It was amazing. It was, a, of course, it was visual art. And then you realize, obviously, that, you know, we, we're well aware now that this is a big part of the chef's job now is that it has, it, it has to look beautiful. And so then you have a, a call and response sort of thing. So this is very exciting. And you think, oh, oh, this is brilliant. So he just posted back the picture. This is what I've done with the thing. Um, and then we start, you know, then you have a, a starter relationship. And you say, well, what about this? Let's try that. Um, he, he has an incredible collection of ceramics because, of course, with a, a, a Japanese history, um, ceramics is very important in the culture. You, you will have local styles of ceramics in the area where you grow up. You'll be aware of ceramics from different regions and they will look different. So he has a great interest in ceramics and it's a lot of fun dealing with somebody like that mm. who has more knowledge than the average chef, for sure. That's 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 really interesting. And I love the visual description you made of the the fish swimming across the sand as well. And I think um, not only the food or the people that inspire it, but I'd imagine the place where you live as well is hugely inspirational to your pottery. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we um, we use lots of ingredients that come from our from our own garden. We 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 dig small buckets of clay and we process it and use it as a slip across some of our plates. We, um, we use the turf ash from the, from the turf fire, which we ashamedly okay. still use a little bit of turf. We're trying to phase that out. <laughs> we plant to, we plant around a hundred trees in our um, field down below every year, don't we Steve? So we're which slowly, we we're slowly we working towards, um, towards burning that wood instead of turf. Um, so we have, um, yeah, so we, we we burn the turf in, in the fire and then we use the, the ashes as a, a medium on top of plates and um, it's very high in iron. So it's like really, really orange. And it and if you mix it with other glazes and you use it in different ways, it can create the most amazing effect. Um, wow. Like a like a candied orange sort of or- across the across the plate. Um, I'm holding one here now that we did for um, Cure Restaurant in Singapore. For an Irish chef called Andrew Walsh, and um, that was a really, really fun piece to make, wasn't it? It's a, like a little pedestal piece. 
that's yeah. it, it, what it's actually doing is breaking down the glaze underneath it. So that's a black glaze, which will consist of pigments, you know, various, get the okay. black there. So there'll be iron, cobalt, which is usually blue, manganese, mm -hmm. which is brown. You combine them all together, you get a good black. And when you put that ash on top, it's causing it to melt in, in irregular ways. It's adding other minerals to it. I'm not even sure what's in there. I didn't have to get it analyzed because it was just doing what we wanted it to do. And we know it's safe. You end up yeah. with something unexpected. Now, if you're making small batches, yeah. you can use ingredients like that. If you're making mm -hmm. many thousands of things, it's, it's a bad idea to play around with materials like that. But because we're making a batch of 30, 40, maybe even three or four single platters here or there, it doesn't matter. They don't have to match up. That gives you great freedom. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I think that's the beauty of it is that every piece is absolutely unique. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. It's not for replication. Just while we're on the idea of the sourcing, you know, like obviously it's 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 become um, the key way in which chefs approach creating dishes now, which is starting at the start. So it's it's about finding products, ingredients. It's foraging obviously become a, uh, became a, a very big thing for chefs. And it, it came from, I guess, the point that inspiration comes in the beginning. And at the end of the day, you're just carrying something through and, and trying to create something that can help that shine and, and, and bring it together. And we're speaking a little bit about how you guys are taking a similar approach with the way in which you're making the pottery. Would that be different depending on your collaboration? Or would you guys be on your own chain of, of sourcing and experimenting and then it kind of blends in? Or do you approach each commission and how you play with these things that you are, are are finding to suit specifically that commission? I think every chef has 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 their own um, personality and when they come to us with their own um, desires we we work we work with them to fulfill what they need but we also we also bring our own um, obviously our own ideas in, in there as well so so Mm. yeah you you want to take it past that we're really passionate about it and really interested in it so the point is when somebody comes to us and they know little about pottery but they know what they like the look of there's a great opportunity for both of us to have a conversation and see where we can go with something mm. so for instance and um, i think sometimes uh, some chefs have a really easygoing approach to it and it can give us a little bit more um, freedom of expression and then some other chefs might be mm. really really certain about what they want and they might give us even specific dimensions and measurements and, mm. and then we work we work towards that with them don't we yeah you see you wouldn't make these pots unless you were talking to a chef because mm. they're not necessarily <clears throat> that normal because you might say well mm -hmm. i need a plate but it has to pool the sauce in the center mm. i want it to look mm -hmm. relatively flat but it must be inclined towards the center somewhat or i have a gotcha. you know with a large rim and I wanted to dip down, but it must have a, just an imperceptible flat bottom to hold a scallop in a particular way or something like that. So you've got a yeah. technical aspect to it sometimes. Um, but other times <laughs> what, what a chef will do, will they'll come to you with a pot that they like from some other image from somewhere else and say, I want something like this. Mm. And then what we will do is we'll go and have a bit of fun. We'll make three or four samples, which vary from that point. And then yeah. inevitably we go in a different direction almost entirely except it, if it satisfies you know the technical use of how it's going to hold that food up it can lead in all sorts of different directions so we start off with some sort of inspiration and then 
we'll make some samples, play around with it. Now we'll find something new in there. They'll find the direction they want to go and there'll be a couple of duds as there always is. And certainly with experimentation, um, we, we, you know, we have to, we lose a lot of pots in, in those experimental times, but that's okay. You're, you're, you're always finding something new. And I, yeah, I think we almost always <coughs> surprise ourselves with what, what we've made in the end, don't we? Yeah. Like it, it veers us off our path into, into directions of different styles that we may not have um, visited. Like, like, this, <coughs> like this pink porcelain plate. I mean, we were never really pink people before we made this plate, but this plate was for Niall Davidson and, and Hugh Higgins at Alta. And it was just, they were just so fun and... Um, like vibrant and they had such great energy and we just wanted to make them something that was that was really an expression of of that didn't we and yeah instead of, we're like we're making so many earthy things with these ash glazes and stone glazes all the time and they were like oh you guys just have fun and let's see what happens yes yeah and do you make a point of going to the places where these this pottery is going to end up at the end of the day, tasting the food, or do you just let your imagination go wild based on that person or the conversations? I wish that we had? could do that more. Yeah. Unfortunately, we really can't get out of Kerry much because the kids at school and everything. But um, and the last mm, two years, obviously, we haven't been able to. Yeah, out. but but they will come. They invite. They always invite us. They're, they're really, really, really generous, and they invite us to come and have dinner. And we could never. We 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 did it once. We went to I'm sure. And they put on the most amazing um, dinner for all the producers that that made all the pieces for the restaurant. Yep. So there was wow. so there was our friends um, Carrie Ann and John from Car Daniel who made the cutlery from seaweed, and then there was the, I the roasted the coffee, and there was the all these amazing, interesting people, and they gave us all this this meal, and and that was really inspiring, wasn't it? That was brilliant, yeah, because you. Don't necessarily go to all the restaurants before. But that, was anyway, that, that was after the fact, wasn't it? It was after yeah. we'd already made the pieces. The restaurant often doesn't exist. We just finished um, um, work. Well, we still got a bit more for the new restaurant in Castle Martyr Estate, Terre, by, um, with Vincent Crepel, the French chef. And so they come to you six months before sometimes. This is what we're looking for. Here's a couple of mood boards. These are the things I'm interested in. Where can we go? And so you'll start then mm -hmm. making a palette of, of stuff and work and colors and finishes and glazes and pulling out bits. And the person must really visit. Not They don't have to, but it makes it much easier because mm -hmm. we've got drawers and drawers and drawers and drawers of samples. Pulling them out, mm -hmm. this thing, that thing, the other thing, this finish, this shiny satin finish, crystalline glazes, whatever it is. And they start getting excited then. So they, they had a firm view beforehand and now we have more possibilities. So... That could be two visits. They might stay. We have, we're actually sitting in an apartment now, which is above our pottery studio, next to the house. And mm -hmm. often people will come and stay for maybe one or two days or three days and come back again when we're closer to um, finalizing samples and things. So that could, be, that could be how it works. Let's say with Andrew Walsh in, in Singapore, uh, he had to work remotely, but that's okay. We, we can work with the photographs and we both understand each other. He's buying mm. ceramics you've got incredible ceramics in the areas around singapore um but of course he wants to have something irish there that's yeah. gorgeous can we talk a little bit about your commissions abroad actually because five years of pulling this together it seems almost mad that that you're already filling restaurants in singapore where else have you been making making plates and 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 different bowls for 
Well, London as well, is the yeah, we have a few places in London. Really exciting um, chef that we started working with this year is um, Santiago Lastra, and he's the Noma Mexico chef mm-hmm. um, who opened his um, restaurant called Cole in London, and we made a really cool plate for him, which was um, really crusty and rough, wasn't it? And he's, I think he served Wagyu mm. beef taco on it. Yeah. Um, and we all, we're currently making um, mezcal jacares. Um, yeah. Is it smoked t- smoked tequila? Is that right, Steve? Well, this is it. You sometimes you don't know cups. what you're you don't know what you're making. You're like, can you? <laughs> yeah. So we're we're learning new things all the time. Um, Stephen's like, just rock on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these cups are supposed to sit in a little like a, a grass a hay reef or something. A little ring. They have no okay. foot. They have like a round bottom and they sit in this little ring. Um, a so, woven grass ring. Yeah. It derives from a gourd, which would be dried out, chopped in half and be used as your cup. Exactly. I got you. Gotcha. Okay. And so how do we make a ceramic version of that? And then discussing with them, um, what is it? Okay. And and so we'll have to start with dimensions because I have no idea. And But we grow squash and we have gourds, dried gourds and things like that. Uh, but here, what we're looking for is a simple form and then playing around with glazes. What what can it be? So we've yeah. got a black iron matte glaze with crystalline growth in it here, which is finished with a dusting of Valencia slate dust. So that's a local quarry, which has beautiful stone. And when you use it as a dusting on top of the glaze, it creates a sort of metallic um, cloud of a sheen over that matte satin background. And then the... One of the other options then for them to choose from is this cobalt uh, gray blue glaze. And then Alexis has put the turf ash onto it and it's starting to bleed down and break the glaze down and create these um, these uh, drop. Beautiful, it's stunning. Absolutely That's stunning. The integration yeah. of the glaze in the firing and then it, and then it melts over again. Um, so, you know, so I'm making the form, passing it over to Alexis, and then she's playing with the glazes, the recipes we have developed, mixing, combining, playing back and forth. And, you know, you, you could, if you have 10 glazes, you have potentially thousands of combinations then. Exactly. I mean, some glazes do not work on top of others and they're horrendous, or they run off the pot and they stick it to the shelf and you're there with a hammer the next day, smashing them up. <laughs> Do you, do you ever get overwhelmed from all these different options? You have, yeah. You have to limit it somehow. Yeah. It yeah. can be. Yeah. Can be overwhelming. Pottery can go in so many different directions. It's so diverse what you can do with pottery. So um, it, it can be a bit overwhelming sometimes. Oh, it's endless. Yeah. And yeah. then it can be really, really exciting and inspiring. It's like. It makes total <laughs> sense to stick with three glazes for your whole life and never deviate from that. I t- <laughs> <laughs> the temptation is creeping in, but it's not going to happen. I'd say, I can yeah. see it in both. Alexis, of you. I, I have a question. I have a question there. You, you mentioned some things that it's really rewarding sometimes. Can you tell us maybe about some of the most rewarding moments you've um, personally remember um, about your pottery? Like maybe was it something that somebody said or the first time you ate from a plate of your own, or yeah. what was one of those standout um, moments? I think going to I'm sure and having that meal and seeing every dish come out on our plate was like mind blowing for me and just and that was the first big chef job that we'd ever done so that was really good moment mm. for me I was like 
bursting, quietly bursting with pride inside while I was eating this meal. And then I was like trying to bring myself back down to earth, you know, like <laughs> afterwards. It was great. And then um and what's an, what, what what what's a good moment for you, Steve? See, sometimes you think the things you're making are silly things. You're going, oh Jesus, I don't know who'd want that. What's that thing? Yeah. Uh, well, it's how somebody yeah, yeah. else frames it. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're we're very comfortable making strange things and all the rest of it and finding the right person for that uh, I, I think um and then we also recently got in the we were in the guardian and that and that was um a big deal for us because we were in the 50 most exciting things in food or something this year or whatever and um and then i had my 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 mom's friends in australia were ringing me up and going oh my god alexis i saw you in the guardian and so that was that was really cool yeah because it's out <laughs> That is outside it. of your neighborhood. Yeah, I think our, we big reach. Yeah, because we think of I, I think of Ireland as incredibly local. Like if we're dealing with Ox Restaurant up in Belfast or down to Miyazaki, Miyazaki's in Cork, uh, it's kind of local still in a way. Um, it's so small, it's brilliant. But then when you see, you think it's a, it's amazing. Anybody hears of you outside the country, so so mm-hmm. the London jobs don't come. Uh, uh, projects don't come that often, but we get a call several times a year for a possibility of doing something there. There's loads of potters there, yeah. brilliant potters. Uh, yeah. It's just that somebody's yeah. looking for something a little bit different, so they don't want to get the, the same person who did all the restaurants there. It's the same way it would make no sense for us to be in every restaurant here. You know, it's it's. I love to see who's done the pottery in another place, mm. um, whoever it is, you know. Yeah. Speaking about loads and loads and loads of potters, is there any potters out there that are really inspiring you at the moment? Um, well, I think um, one of the most interesting ones for me over the last few years um, was a French potter, Jean-Nicolas Girard, um, who he's, he's, his work is, he's like a country potter in, in, in the south of, of France. And the whole thing about him is that there's no convention. It's the mo- roughest, mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, careless beautiful pottery you've ever seen in your life he, he doesn't stick to any convention his pots are made of massive thick slabs he's layering on the slips over the color of the this dark clay buttery um slips of porcelain slip over the top and then he's carving through it and drawing in it and it's like it's like chocolate cake sort of thing mm-hmm. oh and, gorgeous and, the thing about him is that it's inspirational to see somebody who's not held back by convention. Mm, you you yeah. get a salad bowl mm. of his and you go, who cares if it's three times the weight of the other one? Look at it. It's magic. Mm. You can yeah, by the same, you know, some potters prefer to make light pots, some prefer to, to make heavy pots. If you're working with porcelain, it's got to be light because it'll crack on you. And uh, I feel like yeah. he's not looking at he's yeah. not looking at anybody yeah. else's images and and being bogged down by you know, worrying if he's good enough or anything. He's just one of these artists who, who's just completely free with his expression and he just puts his head down in the studio and, and loves works. it. You, yeah. you can see he loves it every day. It's those kinds of artists that I think really inspire us. I mean, I, I like something that's engineered and, and perfect as well, but the, but the point is that he's, he's loose and free and doing it his own way. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's mm-hmm. a really interesting thing because I used to make things quite precisely. You know, mm. things had to be in batches or it, it was the most efficient way. That is the most efficient way. And still, well, sit down and if I'm making a teapot, I'd better make 10. Uh, it's the mm. only way, really. Or if I say I'm going to make noodle bowls tomorrow, 
I'd better make 30 or 40 or 50 and it would be better if I made 100, but I never get round to that. We spend <laughs> three days doing that because, you know, that it, 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 it is efficient, but it's terribly boring to spend the whole day batch making all the same things. And that we, we have friends who are potters who work in commercial potteries and they have to sit there day in, day out for the days that they do making the same form. But when they make their own pottery outside of that, it's the total opposite. They're hand forming holes, mm. they're firing them in wood fired kilns, letting the fire do all of this crazy stuff to it with their um, expertise leading the way. But I mean, it's the total opposite. It's just about mm. uh, respecting each piece. Mm. Mm. at a fetishistic level going beyond um, uh, what we're doing but there's so many directions you could go and um, you know potters in Ireland that, that for instance that somebody like that would be David Holden who's over in Dingle David is um, digging his own clay up in the mountains and around river banks and things like that making uh, uh, tea bowls and, and drinking cups and things like that and firing it in a wood-fired kiln with, with a woman, uh, Ursula Tramsky, who's a great potter over there. And they have, they communally fire wood fire kilns. We actually went to meet mm. up with them two weeks ago and fire a kiln to see about the viability of us having one here. Because mm -hmm. if we're not okay. up to stuff to make things complicated, we think it might be fun to do that. Um, and it was amazing because, you know, you can fire in wood and you don't have to put a glaze on the pot. The fire itself and the deposits of ash going in over the clay will actually uh, help to create a glaze where there wasn't one before. You can put a glaze pot in and it will have huge variety around the surface of it, depending on how the fire is hitting it. And the, the actual fact that um, oxygen is being consumed in that kiln by fire and it totally radically changes it. Do we have a, an example of a wood fire pot there? Yeah. Um, so, so this is you know, this is an example of a pot um, which the coloration changes all around it. So let's try and describe that for somebody who can't actually see this, but is listening oh, this, to this. How would you describe it? This pot that? has a sort of a peachy bronze luster to it. I, I mean, I okay. can't control that. I put a glaze on it, but I didn't know this was going to happen. It has speckles of uh, charcoal-y speckles that have mm -hmm. appeared on it, um, like freckles. A, a, yes. a blush of them across one side where carbon has been trapped within it from the fire. None of that was planned. I mean, I, 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 I was told some of this would happen. Mm. <laughs> when, but, you're, when you're firing with wood, you're leaving things up to chance way more than you are with an electric kiln. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really elemental. Yeah. And it's just like um, exciting. It's really exciting. Whereas exciting, what, yeah. what we do is we fire <clears throat> an, an electric kiln. So the the situation is very highly controlled and we try and um, throw um, things at the pottery that will that will give it more um, what we how would you right. uniqueness I suppose yeah. its own fingerprint it basically be really yeah. boring yeah. it could be really boring firing <laughs> with electric you don't have an environment that's going to give you things that are, are um, uh, really varied so what you have to do is you you have to start learning about the chemistry of it uh, if you want it to be interesting. So, so what we started doing was playing around with, yes, local materials, which are sort of unknown origin, but we roughly know what's in them. Mixing them with bought materials like feldspar rocks that make up the base of the glaze um, from overseas. Uh, combining those together, 
we take recipes from existing books, just like a, 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 when you're cooking, you will buy books with recipes in them from potters from all around the world. Ancient Chinese recipes, mm. modern recipes from the US, Japan, wherever it is, the UK. Um, and then you'll, you'll write down the ingredients, mix it up, uh, try it out. Oh, it looks boring in my kiln, but it might be good for another one. Let's change an ingredient. Mm. Immediately then it becomes a different glaze. Now let's throw another glaze over the top of it. Alexis will do, won't tell me. It'll come out and go, what in the name of God is that? It's amazing. And she'll be like, oh, I just threw this over that. Now we say, okay, let's look at those two recipes. Can we recombine them, play around with them in a different way? Um, and then the other thing is how we fire. So what we do is we do a special slow cooling process to develop crystals within the glaze. So you could have a flat, okay. you could have a flat glaze, which is, uh, you know, sort of shiny, clear. But if you grow crystals within it, you'll get a frost-like um, effect growing across it like a pool, freezing slowly. Wow. And then when okay. you added colors to that, you create huge um, diversity. The, some crystals, like pyroxene crystals, will grow on a green blaze, but they'll be like gray pyrite sort of looking things. So immediately mm. now you've got um, something that looks like rock with a lichen growing on it. Mm -hmm. How you wow. fire and how you're Amazing. setting it up. You might put in an ingredient like titanium in there to act as a seed for a crystal to grow around it. You could go into that for 50 years and never get to the bottom of it. But we spent three years um, developing glazes while, while at the start, when we started before the I'm Sure job, um, which led to interesting pictures, which led Jordan and Mike to find us because Alexis had been putting those pictures on Instagram of our experiments, not knowing what way to go. Yeah. So we had mm -hmm. several years of these experiments behind us. And then we had a great pool of things to pull from. And, and potters are always helpful to each other. You can always call somebody up and say, God, I'm having terrible trouble with this glaze. And they say, oh yeah, you want to change that ingredient for that now because that stuff coming from France is rubbish this year. Whatever, <laughs> uh, because they're minerals and they don't they kind of change as they go through a mountain the the mineral levels change and things and so your ingredients it's not like buying flour you're buying dollars yeah from the mountains between italy and 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 france and the 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 chemistry will change over time they don't notify you about yeah. it you know you're just going oh jesus my my glaze isn't working anymore um that's that's really hmm. interesting isn't it I'd, I'd imagine like every season it would be completely different as well. So sometimes it can be, you can lose something that once worked. Yeah. And again, you could, you could change supplier for that and it might work again, but mm. you have to be ready to, to, to pivot. Mm. One of the things you said there really kind of fascinated me with it. <clears throat> so, and I imagined it was like this, but as you progress through each commission, which is fascinating yourselves and, you know, it's also financially sustaining what you guys are doing. You have a catalog building behind you of references you can go back to somewhat of a a collection of work which really to me feels almost like they're all albums you know like each time you do a commission it actually feels like you're kind of closing the page on one moving on to the next starting again from scratch but you have your previous work to lean in upon <laughs> as you're moving through is there any direction you feel you guys are moving now I mean nobody likes to give away their secrets but is there any doors opening that you feel like okay now that's the area I think I'd like to dip into or, or or is it going to be more of the same because it seems hugely satisfying why why would you change now mm. well that's why we were thinking about the wood-fired kiln because it will automatically create trouble yeah which will lead 
chaos. Yeah, I, I, what, I think limitations are, are really interesting because you can I agree with you. work with a particular environment and you got to work your way around it and you'll find yeah. good. We might be doing the wrong thing by, by doing that, but we'll find it interesting and it'll lead to whole new work. Now we'll be retreading ground that mm. other people have gone over before, of course, but that doesn't matter. I just mm. think that mm -hmm. um, I think that could lead to very interesting things for us. We'll always have new tests, new blazes, and all the rest of it. Um, but um, I don't know. Other than that, can you think of something? I think that um, Steve and I um, enjoy designing things um, in general. We enjoy crea uh, creating things. And I think that um, we'd like to probably move move one day move, move into new mediums and start to create new products maybe from um oh well, that's for sure yeah. i mean um we could we could keep doing this for years couldn't we and we i'm sure we will um but i think that we might start thinking about working in maybe wood and metal mm. um and maybe a little bit of fabric textiles um mm. i think we can apply the skills that we use in our pottery to lots of other mediums can't we yeah, I mean, we've experimented with a lot of those things. I used to work, enjoy working with wood all, all the time. And, and I keep thinking, God, I need to go back there. Why are my plates all pottery? Can't we start working with metal plates and-, and Start uh, pressing metal and we can like yeah. indent it with beautiful marks and we can, um, I mean, I, I know metal changes the taste of food when it's served on, on it. So that's a big challenge, but I'm sure we can find a way around that. And we can, you know, just like every other challenge, design challenge, if, um, yeah, we're, because we're not making products for we are making products for every day but we have the mandate to go and make things that are only for special use so mm. in those gotcha. terms, we can't yeah. we shouldn't be limited um i like the idea of collaborating with other makers that's the thing is going to you know going finding a place where people do things as they do them and and and, and pulling something out of that and saying this is totally mm -hmm. to be used in this other fashion um mm. Yeah, it'd be really fun to work with a wood woodworker and have them make a beautiful lid for a, a jar that we make, or um, that would be fun, wouldn't it, to collaborate in that way? Yeah, or, um, or and we, you know, and we're talking we, with glass artists as well about developing things for the fine dining. You know, sometimes the, the chefs don't they don't have their head they're busy enough dealing with what they're dealing with. They're going to because you mm -hmm. do this sort of thing, but glass artists aren't thinking I could be making. Um, plates for fine dining and chefs aren't thinking necessarily a lot of them that um, glass makers could be making a lot more for them of course it's we have glass plates but the point is that it's not often utilized and there's loads yeah. of glass artists around the country and that kind of stuff would be made in us in small kilns from home studios remember you're only making small mm. orders again it, it's it's about collaboration really is the most interesting thing because that gets us all out there uh, yeah. when we collaborate you usually make a new friend as well you know <laughs> <laughs> that that's true i say you friends all over the country at this point um what's it like actually working together running a business together um sometimes it's unfair because i get given all crappy jobs <laughs> <laughs> oh. i do all the accounts and i do all the emails and all the um anyway no steve does lots 
And your man is having no, He's like invent, inventing like a fake commission, inventing a fake commission. <laughs> well, today I've got to make that piece again. So sorry, I'm not free. When I complain about like 100 of these bloody teapots, what are you talking about? So, you know, uh, we, no, we both, I think we both get, we both get equal creative um, opportunity and it, it, it is difficult sometimes to, um, to work together but mostly it's great like we share the studio so Steve's down one end and I'm mm. usually down the other in the glazing area and um shouting at each other <laughs> what? Yeah. and the kids are coming in and bugging us and um making things challenging but also they're you know lovely to have around um chickens yeah. are coming in and pooing on the floor and we're having to clean it up and it's a very busy studio and there's lots of visitors coming by because um, we have a small gallery here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I enjoy it because I'm working with, uh, you know, working with Alexis is really interesting in, in terms of ceramics because I came with technical know-how and Alexis um, had other skills. She's really good uh, visually and, and, and technically able to make all these things too now. But the point is that... Uh, she would make things and I'd go, yeah, why didn't I think of making it like that? Because I, I, I'm so mm. used to using these tools. Yeah. Now, they're restrictive in a way. Working on a wheel, everything will be circular. Mm. Break away yes. from that. The fact that you're using an electric wheel, it works at a certain speed and things of a certain regularity. If you go to places where people yes. use a kick wheel, where they're kicking a big mm-hmm. concrete wheel underneath, and they tend to make the pot in so many rotations, it's only spinning around so many times, they've got to have this efficiency of making the pot in 30 seconds or something like that. The pot is a completely different yes. character. So I'm watching Alexis using totally different tools, making the tools she needs. I sometimes will make a plate which will act as a mold. She's draping bowls over, rolling it out like pastry, forming it over, hand building feet onto them, but becoming so efficient at it that it's not much slower than making it on the wheel. But they have more character mm-hmm. then. And then that feeds back into me going, oh, no, I need to liven these up. So what, how do I limit um, the, the, the... We bounce off each other. With, um, the tool. We bounce off each other, don't we? we? We approach things in different ways, and it means that um, we can provide this variety of different styles and different um, yeah. approaches, doesn't it? So it works really, really well, actually. Yeah. Well, when yeah. you're a couple... It's, it sounds like an absolutely gorgeous dynamic. Um, well done, guys. Was there any moment like over the years where you thought, oh, my holy God, this is absolute madness and it's never going to work? Um, hmm. Well, one of those was when, when we had a big commission and one of our glazes was misbehaving and we thought, oh, my God, we're never going to do it. Yeah. And what's <laughs> going on? We yeah. can't fix it. And there's a big difference between a shiny, opaque, snowy, like satin glaze and something that's glossy and. I think I think sometimes there was moments where um where there was commissions due and then we get a lot of um, power cuts down here in Kerry. I, I I don't know is that Lately. across all of Ireland. <laughs> anyway, and and obviously that sends everything into uh, disarray because then our kilns have the schedules have been um, interrupted with and and then the commissions just you know we're running late and so there's. There's lots of moments like that with pottery where you're squeezed and it's like um, pottery, working with pottery, it's like it's like being on a train and you have to keep moving, moving, moving. And, if you, miss, you know, if you miss that stop, then it's like... you got to throw a lot of stuff away. Yeah. I, I think the, the big danger with, with us early on was taking on a commission saying, oh, yeah, absolutely, we can do that. Um, 
Whereas now what we do is we say, yes, we can do it, but it'll be done, it'll be done probably in our way, right? So we, nobody says, we, I want we this. Like to, we, we, all, we like to make everybody happy and we want to say it can be ready in, you know, four weeks or whatever, but now we've learned mm -hmm. to say it's going to take a really long time <laughs> and it's going to, going to yeah. be a long process and if you want to work with us we'd love to work with you but you've got to be patient with us yeah yeah and we love we love deadlines yeah. but you know um they have to be realistic you're i think at the yeah, beginning, you have to have to be realistic. yeah they have to be realistic and and that the, the, things can go wrong when you're making things um something can mm -hmm. go wrong there can be something that's constantly things go wrong and it can and, go wrong for a whole three yeah. weeks period and you can lose a lot of work yeah and that that's really uh, disturbing, upsetting. Um, so that's why we have to, you know, give ourselves these buffers. But you know, at the mm. beginning, certainly we take an order for something and somebody says, I want it like this. And you're absolutely trying to hit that nail on the head. And now what we say is, here was your, your brief and here are the interpretations of that. Pick one of those because mm. we can do this, obviously. Mm. And it's much easier mm. then, you know. Now people, of course, trust us to, to go our own way, and that makes it much. Mm. I think in easier. the beginning, you 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 really want to you want to please, and you want to say yes, yes, yes to everything that everybody wants. And now we've learned to mm. to say um um to give boundaries of what we can offer, and yeah, yeah. But yeah, what I what I wanted to ask you guys was pottery for home because you seem to be to be working on so many of these commissions and I, I i spotted you also sell from your site you mentioned you have a gallery down below for anyone listening who isn't a chef which let's face it most people aren't um is it possible to get hands on your pottery to have a piece at home uh, absolutely so we we i guess we you could say about 70 percent of what we do is commissions um work with chefs and and, and sometimes private commissions but the rest of what we do is is our, our online shop. So every sort of two or three months, we try and um, make enough pieces to open an online shop update and um, people can buy our pieces directly there from our website. Our next online shop update is October the 11th, um, which is pretty soon. And we're just working towards that now. So that's where our online shop updates are where we really get to have a lot of fun and make, just kind of go wild and make stuff that, that we really want to make ourselves. Um, uh, so yeah. So yeah, we do make pottery for people's homes, which are is more practical. Um, and yeah, it'll be, it, it it goes up. Yeah, what did you say about four or five times a year? But if and it's often sold out, which is very nice for us. But that's also because it's not a lot of there's not a lot not of pieces out there. Yeah. So. If, mm. if somebody is interested, we just say get on the website and, and, and sign up and you'll get a notification when the next one is coming up. Sure, okay. Um, mm -hmm. But we do, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not just restaurants. I suppose restaurants account for um, a good share of it, but we probably really do three or three restaurants maybe now in the year. Uh, it varies a few bits and pieces for another one and we keep the restaurants we've worked with in the past we'll always want maybe one more set of plates or bowls or whatever sure um, there's a set of nice set of dashi cups and little pots going up to um jp at a near mm -hmm. this week uh, mm -hmm. and there's little bits going out here and there um but uh, yeah the, we do have them available to the public and we and we welcome visitors here to the studio um you know during the summer it might only be one two people a day but that's that's fine have a chat have a break mm. um, um 
and and uh, there's always something here even though it's not online sometimes because it takes work to to photograph and, and put the work on on the website so that's it from this week's installment of the neighbor food podcast thank you so much to stephen o'connell and alexis bauman of firm oil pottery for opening their studio and welcoming us into their amazing world of ceramics they certainly are making signature dishes for very unique food and it was an absolute pleasure to talk to them you can find out more on firmoilpottery.ie and we will chat to you soon bye